0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Show today, we have joining us from Pennsylvania, my birth state, the place where I come from, Caleb Wild. Welcome, Caleb.
1: Thanks for having me. It's cold up here. I think we're at 23 degrees today with like a 15 degree wind chill. So, you made a good choice.
0: Yeah. Well, it actually is like 25 degrees in Texas today, but we've shut down our entire existence because it got that cold. And that's why I'm at home. And that's why you might hear kids yelling in the background because the roads are literally closed. They're like, it's 25. We have no precipitation, no snow on the ground, but it's that cold. So we're just done.
1: I I like that. I, I yeah. wish that would happen up here. <laughs> just sh- shut the state down when it gets cold.
0: <laughs> just we're we're done. So just Netflix, eat uh, cookies, you're good. And podcasting. The- right? yeah. and, and podcasting, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um we were emailing and you said this is the uh busy season of the year for you. This is like yeah. pneumonia season. Um so this it's cold and just people are dying all the time. So I Of course this is not a happy time of year for you. It's it's yeah.
1: Uh, yeah it's tough so you're a pastor and you know you know how you know when you're starting to get close to burnout you know you can feel it in your soul it's like being a caged animal and Mm -hmm. uh, there's just some animalistic tendencies uh, where you're backed into a corner that happens a lot as well with funeral directors and right now is the time of year where uh, last week, I, each day was probably about 12 hours, but, uh, it wasn't like an easy 12 hours. It was like, uh, from eight o'clock to four o'clock. And then I get a call at midnight and I'm out for another four hours. Uh, so those sleep patterns and the chaos of it all, uh, just make for, uh, a lot of coffee, uh, a lot of grace for my family. And, uh, extra naps
0: yeah that sounds a lot uh, in your in your book you describe yourself as a thoroughbred funeral director like it goes deep on both sides of your family they all get it but still like that's a pretty overwhelming schedule i'm assuming like do you have someone else like a call in case you need a day off or if you're sick or what what happens when that call comes in at midnight and you just you got pneumonia
1: it's roulette so it depends uh who's got the phone that night Uh, there's four of us Mm -hmm. and we do switch up but but i'm the youngest and as the youngest i (laughs) i get the things that are least desirable which is gotcha the midnight death call gotcha but we do try to switch it up
0: okay so there's four of you on the rotation and all right that's still a lot okay so here's the story um did your book come out like August ish? When, when did it end hmm? of September? Okay, end of September. Well, I was talking with, um, uh, I forget who it was the uh, PR person from, or the publicist person from Harper One. And we had been working on getting a date scheduled to do this back when the book was first coming out. And there was a death in my church, a friend of mine. And, uh, I was supposed to schedule something that week with you. And I was just like, yeah, I, everything got kind of pushed because of that. And then afterwards I was like, I just don't want to talk about death. I just don't want to do it. I really just, I've had enough of it and I just, I just let it slip. And then I was looking at my calendar. I'm like, oh, I've got Ash Wednesday coming up. We've got to talk about death again. And then I was like, oh, you never did the (laughs) funeral home book. So, (laughs) and so I was like, oh yeah, I need to reach out to Caleb. And so that's what happened. Yeah. so my personality on the enneagram is that my natural tendency is to like run away from pain and uncomfortableness, and your whole book is that to me. So my natural inclination is to run away from you. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if we can be friends in real life.
1: Oh, it's okay. Yeah, I I understand. <laughs> it, it's tough for funeral directors to have friends, anyways. So I, is that for real? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, let's see. My wife's birthday was a couple of days ago, and I was working when when we were supposed to be celebrating. So mm-hmm. it got pushed back, and luckily she stayed with me. But uh, you know, that's it, that's legally binding, which isn't always true for <laughs> that, some of my friends when I miss their birthday parties. So
0: okay, well, I'm not going to expect you to be there for me on my birthday. I'm I'm cool with that. But uh, in the book, you said something about the stereotypical funeral home director kid is kind of morbid. I was wondering if that's more the reason, not just your schedule that prevents people from being friends with you, but because like, you're dealing with death all day long, and a lot of us don't want to be around that.
1: Does yeah. That- yeah, it makes us unique, and I think there's a lot of people who are in other uh, careers, professions that deal with death care, uh, emergency services, It gives you a different perspective on life where the same things don't bother me that might bother somebody else. And I can have a conversation over dinner that would be absolutely appalling to anybody else but me and the other people who work in the industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, And the things that I laugh at, if people knew some of the things that we laugh at, you would think that we were absolute monsters who don't (laughs) deserve airspace in the world. And it's just kind of how we cope and So, yeah, it's it is difficult for us to have friends outside of those professions. Uh, And it's something that is pretty special, though, when you do find somebody. I I was talking to actually at Harper One, uh, the person in charge of my marketing. She does cosplay. And I was like, you bring me to cosplay uh, uh, convention and I'll bring you to a funeral director convention. Because they are both, I'm sure that they're equally as wild, although in totally different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. So we haven't done that yet. But uh, she said deal, and okay. uh, I just have to figure out what I'm going to go as.
0: Yeah, uh, I I don't really know a whole lot of cosplay uh, or even how to pronounce that word. So both yeah. of those things, I don't know. I'm, so I'm I'm happy for both of you. I will like that picture when you put it online, but I'm not going <laughs> to okay. go to either of those. So like you, obviously you have a if what you deal with every day is is death and more, what most people describe as morbid stuff, of course there's gonna be an interesting sense of humor that comes from that. My dad um, worked at a funeral home briefly like when he was going through college and like sure. lived there. And so he had some experiences that are a little different and I can only imagine a lifetime of that. So you think like Dexter Morgan from Showtime, like that's a comedy right. to you probably like, oh, that's a light, lighthearted <laughs> TV show. Like Breaking yeah. Bad, like that's just normal life. Uh,
1: <laughs> no uh i guess so certainly things still bother us uh and it's the reason why a lot of funeral directors have burnout you can't become immune to the death of children you can't become immune to tragic deaths to heroin overdoses Uh, these are things that the only way you become human uh immune to them as if you lose your humanity entirely Uh Uh, i just what happens to us is we we have more categories for things so Mm -hmm. whereas somebody will see what i do and categorize it all as negative and dark but you start to have these finer defined categories where some of it you can see humor in and some of it you can see a lot of humor in and some of it you don't see any at all uh so dexter morgan Uh, I love Michael Hall, uh, six feet under, he was, uh, in that as well. Oh, that's a funeral,
0: Uh, funeral home, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it was, and it was great. Uh, it, it was actually the guy who helped, uh, helped with that. I'm, I'm a friend of his. He endorsed my book, Thomas Lynch. Um, he's the guy who, uh, kind of let Alan Ball, uh, know what funeral homes are like. Uh. So yeah, it, it it was good. It's it was very good. Six Feet Under was a, a well produced, accurate for the most part uh, show. Huh. Uh, but yeah. So, I, but no, I didn't laugh at Dexter. You
0: didn't laugh. Right. Okay. <laughs> let, let me go back to something you said a second ago. That um, certain things you don't get immune to. Child, a child passing, which uh, we got to talk about that more down the road in this conversation. Um, but then you said heroin, like overdose, drug overdose. I would assume some people would would be able to be callous to something like that cuz you go well this is your choice you you took drugs and this is a natural con- like i think you tell a story about a guy named Chad and the pastor who did a what you consider like almost an unforgivable unfor- job at his service cuz he was yeah. able to say like very cold and black and white like this is consequences of your sin and so why why is that a tragedy um yeah ha- why would you describe that at, in the same category or in the same Breath.
1: So heroin, it's not always what it does to the person who died. It's it's what happens to the people that are left behind. Uh, you know, I've seen kids, uh, for instance, and uh, you know, uh, trigger warning or, or content warning here. Um, a couple years ago, there was somebody who died. He was in his uh, early fifties. Heroin overdose. It happened in a ho- uh, hotel he wasn't found for a couple days so his son calls us up you know uh, my dad's dead uh, he, the coroner has him give the coroner a call uh, and uh, he the kid says why well, I'd like to see my dad and of course the kids like 20 21 so I say well your dad probably doesn't look anything like your dad he's been sitting for a couple days in the hotel uh, nature has started to take its course. And he said, well, I don't really have any expectation because I haven't seen my dad in eight years. So it, heroin just tears apart uh, love connections. You know, I don't have any answers for it. I know definitely the answer is to never shame anybody who uses or is, or is addicted. Uh, but the end process that we see at the funeral home, you know, I had a mother tell me once, and I think I recorded this in my book. uh, It was the day of her son's funeral, and he overdosed from heroin. Um, And she was smiling. She was setting up, like, pictures of him throughout the sanctuary. It was a church funeral. And I said, uh, just out of curiosity, why are you smiling? This is your son's funeral. And she said, last night was the first night that I slept the entire way through Without wondering what my son is doing, uh, whether he's hurting himself or or hurting somebody else, and at that time I was shell shocked. How could a parent be in such a state where death becomes a blessing? And it uh, it, just—it's just the harsh, calloused reality of what can happen to a, a young man or young woman who has a heroin addiction or or drug addiction there's just it creates a whole different world and a whole different perspective yeah Uh, so it's tragic
0: i I think you're exactly right and getting to know parents uh of kids who've become addicted uh it's heartbreaking and seeing seeing people with that same feeling of i don't know what happened what's happening to my kid tonight and i don't know what they're doing um and the day in and day out reality like that's just normal um it's it truly is heartbreaking, and I think you're right to describe it that way. And I think the the no shame thing, um, like that's just basic basic decency. Like don't don't do that. Yeah. Um Okay, so I, I I was reading your book um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, actually, my daughters were watching Home Alone while I was reading your book about Funeral Home, which I I don't know how that mixes together. So anyway, so if there's a Macaulay calkin connection, that's why because I was that was in the back. Right. Anyway.
1: Right. Well, he dies in uh my girl.
0: Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I didn't I didn't know that. Um but uh, now I do. Okay. Um so I'm reading this and it seems to me like it's almost, I don't want to say I don't know if coming of age is the right phrase for this, but you grow up in this business, you're fifth generation on one side, fourth generation on the other side of your family, is that right? Like that deep
1: uh, six, Yeah, sixth on my paternal, fourth on my maternal. Okay. So
0: so you're you're deep in the funeral home game. Yeah. And you, the book is like you needing to find a new death view and that you had this death negative narrative that you were telling yourself and you're living into and like there's nothing good about death and that religion kind of softens and brightens up death, but that needed to be shunned and you needed to develop a new view of death. And part of me is like, well, you, you grew up in it. Like how, wouldn't it be like your family had to have some sustainable, healthier view of death if they're going to be doing it for this long and this many, many generations? And that that would be... I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just assuming too much, but I would see, like, I needed this healthier view of death that that I I could learn and glean from you. But it seems like... Isn't it something like your, your family's been talking about like your entire existence? Like, hey, let's talk about death. Yeah. That's what we're doing today. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I... I'd see death every time I'd go to my grandparents' house. Of course, uh, it was an older funeral home, family funeral home, not like the corporate funeral homes today where uh, the funeral directors live off campus, so to speak. My grandparents owned the funeral home and lived in the funeral home. So I'd go over there. We'd play hide and go seek in the casket room and I'd see uh, dead people laid out in the very room next to the room where we were eating our Easter dinner. So it was a normal part of life. It was natural. And I would say, uh, if I'm to be as honest as possible, I think that the deeper I went into Christianity, the more death uh, became something negative to me. Hmm. And I, I, there's a number of reasons why that is. Uh, you know, I grew up. Presbyterian, then we became evangelical. But one of the one of the starting points is that you know, you, you go to the, the very beginning story in Genesis where death is uh, punishment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so you autumn you start from this position where where death is bad, and then you go on where. Uh, Evangelicals are very much comfortable with what comes after death, but death itself is something that we smooth over with a hush-hush mentality, uh, much like uh, much like sex. You know, th- there's a lot of similarities between death and sex.
0: Okay, this is going to be good.
1: Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> so not not uh, not in any weird way, but like. Uh, <laughs> from the way the church handles it okay so we're like you know with 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 like sex we're we're fine with the baby like we'll talk all about the baby and we'll talk all about the pregnancy but what actually happens for pregnancy is something that we're totally hush hush about okay and it's kind of the same you know we'll talk all about heaven what comes after but what actually happens before that is something that we layer in in uh platitudes uh and silence uh and we've uh we do this thing called it's termed spiritual bypassing Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. we take heaven we take easter and we use these ideas to uh obscure and jump over the hard stuff uh and i think that we do that because we have such a negative view uh, about death. There's a lot of other things too. You know, the fact that we've thrown out tradition. Tradition is uh, reformed and always reforming. So we're always looking for that new thing. And a lot of what our ancestors brought to the table, we've kind of thrown out in this anti-traditionalist purge where we're purging the whole sanctuary. But tradition is the voice of the dead. Uh, our, Our ancestors... Uh, the The more we become uncomfortable with those things, the more we become uncomfortable with our own history and our dead and evangelical's kind of fu- uh, evangelicalism's kind of full of that uh, and uh, you know so i I got to a place oh and then there 's hell you know hell certainly hell 's kind of the engine here for a lot of the fear that surrounds death. Mm-hmm as well if we make if we make death scary with hell it creates a a really easy way for disingenuous religion to control people uh so it's very intentional that some denominations some branches of christianity have used hell to intensify the fear of death Uh, because if we do that the scarier death becomes uh the more we mindlessly follow the precepts of our authorities Uh, and of course that, you know, I, I was, God, I, I remember those left behind, Bill, oh, yeah. uh, <clears throat> uh, ideas, uh, Billy Graham's, you know, this was before Tim LaHaye and all that. Uh, and I, just scared to death of, of being left behind, scared to death of hell, uh, scared to death of all these things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. and so for me, it was a reframing. I had to, I had to find a different perspective. Okay. I, I had to start seeing, some beauty yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: one of your lines in the book is we can only see the positives in death when we learn to accept silence and so the connection of silence and death fascinating stuff I want to read something else um, uh, the silence of death, death is often painful because it exposes our most basic fear it lays bare the face that uh, that our best answer our best immortality projects and our best forms of death denial aren't good enough um, one more line perhaps we fear silence more than we fear death why what is the connection between silence and death what is it about silence that enables us to see the positive
1: i don't know that it enables us to see the positive but it, it starts the process where we're comfortable uh death is a soul bearing silence uh, and if we're uncomfortable with that silence, we're going to be uncomfortable with death. Uh, we we try so often to fill the void of silence. Uh, and this is all of us, you know, when, especially around death. We're always looking for words against death. We're, we're looking for ways to, for answers. Uh, and whether that be religious answers that, oh, God has a plan mm-hmm. or that this... This will all work out for for the good. Where we, if we become comfortable with saying, I don't have an answer for this, I do not know. Maybe God doesn't know. I don't know. Uh, But if we become comfortable in that place where we just don't know, where we're okay with not having an answer it leads us to become a little bit more comfortable with the experiences that surround death because we, we aren't going to find answers for some tragic deaths. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to come up with a, a list of ideas that explain away the tragedies in our lives. We've tried that. People have wrote multitude of multitudes of books trying to explain away the problem of evil. Uh, but there just isn't an answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, And uh, the more we try to fill that void with answers, I actually think the farther away we get from the truth.
0: Well, your early view uh, on death in the book is that, you know, death needed religion to make it lighter and brighter how much of and so as i understand that i'm assuming you're talking about well you know in the end uh you know there's resurrection and so we have hope and so this right now is pretty dark but we know that there's going to be um the sun's going to be the brightest right after the darkness of the night or something like that right (laughs) so we're gonna we're gonna have resurrection as the hope have you maintained any hope from resurrection and the way that you experience death Is, is that is resurrection part of your view of death at this point
1: so good friday and and holy saturday you know holy saturday is a day that's we've kind of lost but i i've come to think that if you put yourself in the disciples shoes which is hard but the you know they had this vision of jesus coming in and uh, their idea of the messiah uh, what that entailed their understanding of the kingdom uh, is that he would set up some earthly rule etc i think a lot of us are familiar with that and then he dies mm-hmm. uh, so saturday for them is this day of uh an utter devastation uh, uh the the oh crap mm-hmm. moment where they realized that all of their assumptions this person that they'd invested their entire life into for however many years uh, they were wrong he's dead uh, and it's filled with obviously it'd be filled with doubt um uh, for me i kind of work in holy saturday uh, my vocation is holy saturday i i am there uh that's the space that i hold and a lot of the things that i see uh lead to doubt, uh, lead to silence. And like I say, I've I've kind of become comfortable in that silence. Uh, years ago, I wasn't. I, I was kind of dragged kicking and screaming into the silence. But I've become comfortable there because I think that there's a place of worship. For the disciples, worship would have been being there. Uh, they were together, at least that's what we see in scripture. Uh, they didn't leave each other, uh, but they were still there. And so for me, I feel like I'm holding space for resurrection. And, uh, you know, I, I'm there for people on their holy Saturday. So it's difficult for me to identify with resurrection uh like it might be for others it's difficult for me to identify with the jesus of sunday uh i i identify with the jesus of sunday and the disciples of saturday so i don't know you know i i i'm okay being there and i'm okay holding space for those people and i'm okay uh not not knowing for sure of course you know jesus had talked about rising again they didn't understand i'm sure they didn't understand entirely what that meant they didn't know what was coming um and that's kind of the place where i am i don't know what's coming Uh, i don't know what's after this life Uh, and what i've been told might not be what actually is going to happen my assumptions could be totally off and i'm okay with that uh so to answer your question i i haven't lost sight of the resurrection Uh, i just feel as though part of my vocation is to hold space in saturday Uh, hold space with the people who are in saturday and friday and uh, maybe one day i'll reach sunday and and be surprised at what I see um, but that's not where I'm at right mm.
0: now. How long do you think you've been at this place
1: uh, it's been a, a good five six seven mm. years um, um, and and like I said it, it's it's a place where um I, I don't I don't know that funeral directing is a is a job that should be handed to a single person I'm not sure if we're meant to carry what some funeral directors carry uh, of course you know years ago it was kind of the job of the church and uh, the Jewish community had the uh, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong because I can't do the hard h Havre kadisha uh, which was the uh, community of the society of the dead so it wasn't just a funeral director it was a society that took care of the dying and the dead Uh, i'm not sure that we're meant to do what we do i'm not sure we're meant to see what we see as a as a matter of practice uh so i you know there there might be a day and if it does come it's not going to come with much planning but there might be a day where i quit and it'll probably just be like one day I come home and I'm like, you know, I'm kind of done. That, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen enough. It's uh, time to move on. And uh, to the utter surprise of my wife and to the business, uh, I don't think there's going to be much planning. I, and I think that day will come right, where I'm just, yeah, it, that's it. Yeah, I, I've seen it. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I actually I look forward to that mm-hmm. day. Uh, But right now, you know, it's kind of kind of what I do, uh, and I'm I'm kind of made for it, Uh, so I'm okay with that.
0: I've got a friend who, for the sake of respecting this person's privacy, uh, I'll just say that uh, they were in a version of law enforcement where they were seeing some of the worst of the worst, and then all of a sudden they're just done and doing something that's just a fun, light sort of positive, (laughs) smiley kind of thing now. And I'm like, yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, And I think maybe you're dealing with the, uh, forgive me, that sounds like I'm trying to be your counselor, but we as society have said, this is going to now be a profession and we're going to have professional people who do this. And one of the uh, undercurrents of your book is that the participation in the death uh, of loved ones, of family, of friends, is something that maybe we all need to carry a little bit tighter ha- have a little bit more responsibility in that and if if it's That's unhealthy right. for us as a society to not be as participatory in death you are carrying far more of it than the rest of us and so maybe the natural consequence of that is it it's so much of a weight that someone's maybe not intended to carry but uh, you can That's deal right. with your therapist on that one not me
1: uh <laughs> what? no we i mean i can jump off of that <laughs> if you want it and you can cut this if it goes I don't, in, in our rabbit you trail. After you death
0: so much, I don't want you saying anything about jumping off anything. Um, so don't. don't. Yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> that was bad, bad phrasing. That's like the third time I, I've done that. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've professional. And the, the funeral, funeral industry is the blame for that. I mean, we've professionalized death mm-hmm. care to create. Death amateurs, you know we've taken it away from everybody so that we can make a profit off of it. I mean, that just well, be honest. You, the, the, you're making
0: you know, a profit because we don't want to deal with it, and
1: exactly. What you yeah. think about
0: hiding and, the corpse at funeral homes and at hospitals—how we've tried to literally make that—I don't want to say back burner in light of cremation jokes, but to to make that something that's not not a seen part of even. The closest parts of our society where death is going to be prevalent. So yeah, we're not yeah. we're not wanting that.
1: Yeah, we we hide it, uh, and it's it's a systematic it's a systematic thing, uh, and it comes from multiple areas of the medical industry, the funeral industry, uh, the funeral industry. The more uh, frightening, the more heavy we can make death seem, uh, the more it means that you'll give us responsibility. So you guys for are it.
0: you think you're yeah. playing it up? For your own like benefit, your industry
1: yeah well, i I think that we have uh we've made it seem a lot harder than it actually is uh you know, we've made it a little bit oh, you don't want to take care oh, okay. of uh you know grief is grief is too heavy. Uh, you should probably step away and let us. And there's there is a lot of truth to that, and that's why the the ancients did have societies mm-hmm. of the dead, where a community of people would help out uh, the the grieving families. But uh, it's not too mm-hmm. hard. It it's not. It's it's actually something that if we have eyes for, it is very beautiful and can be uh, the central seed. Uh, to, to, to love and community death, death plays such an amazing role, uh, that unspoken role, like dirt to the flower, uh, that allows us to grow, allows us to love. It provides the foundation for so much that we call human. Uh, but it's the part that gets overlooked, uh, because dirt is dirt is yeah, dirty but- and it's, it's not as fun as the yeah, flower. Right. But- I- uh, but it holds holds the keys Got to it. life.
0: Well, one of the parts of death that I I think it's the one that I fear the most uh, personally and professionally is the um, the brown box that you had to deal with uh, or that you have to carry um, the brown box that's used for infants and um, you you come across as sympathetic towards pastors because you understand our part of funerals and, uh, and death is challenging. I'm not saying it's as challenging as yours, but uh, I appreciate your compassion for us. Can you make that compassion tangible? It, I've never had to do a funeral for a baby uh, or a kid, and uh, hopefully I never will. But if I do, how would you recommend um, doing a service like that? How, how do you go about – I'm assuming you've done a few – Funerals for infants and kids, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, So this is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, You know, this is that whole holding space and Saturday deal. Uh, It's Christians. We feel like we're messengers of the good news. And we feel like it's our job to... uh, to share that good news and oftentimes verbally so that when uh, something tragic happens, we feel like it's our job to, if not provide an explanation, to provide the answer. Uh, but, you know, I look at the incarnation, uh, Jesus, Jesus didn't come to provide answers per mm-hmm. se. He was the word, you know, he, he himself was the word. He didn't come uh, with, with a set of truths. Uh, he was mm-hmm. the truth. So when we deal with these incredibly difficult and heavy things like the death of a child, the easy route would be to speak truth and to speak answers the hard route is to be the truth and be the answer so this is where orthodoxy and orthopraxy come mm-hmm. into play right so we major on giving the orthodox answer but what needs to happen is giving the orthodox practice mm-hmm. which is uh, the ministry of presence so so i think you know as a pastor. Do we cuss on your podcast? We know You no. me not me. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> I will say. If, it, I mean, if it so, works,
1: if it moves the story forward. Yeah. Well, you you walk into mm-hmm. this shit. You know, we try to avoid it, but it is shitty, and there's no way around that. Uh, but instead of avoiding it, because it's hard it's nasty it's not easy uh but our job isn't to be the answer and our job isn't to provide the certainties or the explanation uh if we are like jesus our job Mm -hmm. is to be there uh and so you know i think if i were to give advice uh you know for somebody in the ministry based on my experience and it is just my experience uh the ministry of presence is mm-hmm. the advice so we instead of ministry of the gospel or ministry of our words of the, the sermon you know we focus on the sermon uh it's not it's not uh it's not being truth or not saying yeah, the truth yeah. it's being it um, it's not uh, not being full of answers. It's being mm. present, uh, and uh, so that's that's the hard part, and that's that's mm. not easy.
0: Yeah from from my experience of being with families who've gone through um, heartbreaking situations where they end up coming to your office, um, I found myself talking less and less, and I think maybe just as, as I get older. I'm more okay to not have anything to say, and when I'm younger, when I was the younger I was, the more obligation I felt to have some sort of answer. And I don't know if life just yeah. tells you, you know what, your answers they matter in certain <laughs> times, but also your presence speaks louder than any words that you can say in those moments. Um, you referenced yeah. the the Jewish practice of shiva, sitting shiva during someone's grief, and I, don't, I haven't researched. I don't know a whole lot about it. But it makes more and more sense to me, the idea of we're just gonna sit here and be silent and grieve with you and eat food and yeah. we'll clean up and and uh, friends who've, okay, we're gonna come mow your yard and uh, rake your leaves. Like that stuff makes a whole lot more sense to me because it seems to be far more valuable than me getting up. And, oh, let me give you the right Bible verse to make this feel better. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah, Job's friends were doing fine until they yeah. opened their mouths. you know they were doing good and then they decided to Mm -hmm. talk um so you know i kind of feel like uh, that's that's uh, and it's you know it's not meant for we're not meant to do Mm -hmm. that constantly uh we can't do that constantly Uh, we can only bear so much and uh, self-care is such a huge part of being a pastor Uh, it's such a huge part of of being a funeral director any type of social services um we have to care for ourselves what, before what does self-care do look mistakes. like for you uh well thankfully it's not <laughs> drinking because that's pretty expensive
0: <laughs> i would say that's one of uh, many reasons why drinking is not a good self-care but well, the financial <laughs> reason yes
1: that's okay okay that helps <laughs> uh, i i try to work out uh as my schedule allows uh it's a constant fight. Self care is not easy, like you think it would be. Like, oh, you know, let's let's <laughs> care for myself today. This should be, this should be something. It should that be the easiest person
0: to care it, for, like self care. Like, it's just it's just about yourself, I, you know. Yeah. yeah, it's a fight. Uh, so, I, I think, Well, I think certain go ahead pr- practices in life are more meaningful to people in different professions because. Y- One of the things that we find, like with the Desert Fathers, is that they would practice or they would prescribe certain practices to people based on their struggles. Like um, fasting was one that was prescribed often for people with sexual sin. There's something about the uh, ability to buffet the body during withholding food that translates over into uh, like the self control you needed for sexual restraint. Um, one of the things I found for myself is the more I talk for a living, the more the practices of silence are formative for me. And and I would assume, I I don't know what it would be like for you, but I would assume that there would be certain practices that you find more meaningful because of your day-to-day journey in dealing with grief and death and suffering and adversity and like the hard questions of life. I I don't know. I'm just
1: guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that sounds so materialistic, and so I rarely share it, uh, but I like fast cars, And I've tried to come up with all, all of these like super spiritual explanations, uh, um, make myself feel better mm-hmm. about that. Uh, and kind of the thing that I've settled on is that I feel like my life is so out of control sometimes that driving is its own s- sort of huh. therapy. And, uh, because I, I feel like I'm in control and so the faster the car can go, you know, the more defined it is, the more control it, uh it has. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't really share that because I mocked <laughs> myself about it. Like, how dumb is that. But, um, but it's true. I mean, I, I go out for drives a lot. Uh, when things get really bad, I, I'm in my really? car on the road. Uh, and, uh, I don't. You know. I, I don't
0: know if the Desert Fathers ever recommended like getting a Corvette, um, but I assume if they were around now, they would say something like that. That makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Well, you should write a book about
0: it. Okay. To make me well, feel that could better. be your second book. Who knows? Well, uh, sermon, I assume yeah. that you don't drive an automatic, but a standard, right?
1: No. Well, yeah. No. It used to. Most of my cars okay. have been standards uh, until this point, but now it's an automatic. I, I don't
0: think they would yeah. give you a thumbs up on that one i'm kidding my dad would just say that okay. um <laughs> interesting I, I could see like going for a drive the like the control thing makes a lot of sense i isn't that the thing about like death is that you don't have control anymore like you've completely lost every bit of your own ownership of your life it's gone
1: yeah yeah we revert back to mm-hmm. children uh death makes us feel like mm-hmm. children you know my my son i still make him breakfast uh i i help him get dressed uh He's just learned to do his thing on the toilet. Um, and, uh, for him, that's okay. It's good. Uh, but as we become more, as we become older and we like the sense of being an adult, uh, of having control, of not needing our parents anymore, not needing our authorities, uh, and then death. Death brings all of those things that, uh, where we felt the need for help uh, where we felt uh, uh, yeah, like children. It, it, it makes us feel that way all over again. Um, and um, that can be a good thing if we have a mm-hmm. good support system. And it can also go horribly wrong uh, because a child without a support system uh, can self-destruct yeah, pretty sure. quick.
0: Well, uh, your book, Confessions of a Funeral, director was, okay, subject matter was expected to be pretty dark. Uh I mean, you're talking about death, Um but it didn't come across as, like, woe is me and like, the world is awful. Like, there was a, a I don't want to say like a, there was a surprising positivity to it that I was not expecting in the subject matter. Uh, I, I enjoyed the book, so uh, well done. I'm not really expecting you to say anything after that i just enjoyed the book thanks
1: good good yeah yeah i i save all the uh woe is me stuff for my wife um <laughs> that's how, so thanks to her the book didn't have any of that okay well thank listens. you
0: to um mrs funeral director so thank Nicky. you Nikki. i appreciate yeah. it well caleb hey thanks for the time on the podcast uh job well done uh people should go get your book by the way that's my message for them and uh Go enjoy your uh, flu season, pneumonia season in the cold of Pennsylvania, all right? Thank you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast
1: on iTunes. You are now adjourned.